Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about Pharisees then and now. Well, Scott, uh, I don't know what you got at your house, but about 18 inches of snow later at my house, and we are still here and alive. How was it at your house? Well, we got about, um, I wanted to say, I think we got over 20 inches, but uh, okay. I think you're farther south, so I thought it was south that got more. But yeah. I was out blowing snow several times, and it started piling up, and mm. then... Of course, it starts coming off the house in big chunks, and I had to clean off the roof. And yeah, it's been it's been a typical uh, snow experience in Chicagoland, right. and uh, it it just makes us aware where we live. And it's That's right. we like the snow, except when it comes in. Uh, in depth. <laughs> that's right. In 20 inch increments uh, yeah. of it is more than we want. But yeah, that's part of the Chicago winter. So, uh, well, I'm excited to get going with this episode that we have because it's really kicking off a larger series that we're going to be doing for the next four episodes or so about some really contemporaries of Jesus, I guess, the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Zealots, and um, the Sadducees. So That's right. uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you got any kind of context or, or, or some um, guidance that will be helpful for our listeners to let them know where we'll be going in this series of um, the, these different topics that we'll be talking about. Well, we want to uh, dip into what the New Testament actually says about these peoples, uh, these groups, these, uh, let's call them denominations. Uh, we want to dip into that, uh, but we want to dip into it for reasons to help us understand the church today, religious life today, and we want to dip into it in a way that we don't use stereotypes that end up uh, in very unhelpful ways of yeah. labeling people and stereo and boxing people into into our own boxes mm -hmm. and end up showing more about our own privilege and our own perspective than they do about anybody else. So um, that the aim is to, in a sense, is to study the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Essenes in order to illuminate um, areas of improvement in the church. How's yeah. that? Yeah, and it's something. I mean, these categories, especially the the Pharisees and Sadducees, are so prevalent in the Gospels, and so they play significant roles. And like you were talking, they sometimes get translated into um, being labeled as with certain stereotypes to certain groups. And we just want to make sure that I guess we're accurate in that, yeah, and, and that right. they become helpful instead of unhelpful and and harmful for. For moving forward the kingdom, which is what we're all about. Yep. So, well, Chaz, let me let me begin by saying this is the classic stereotype that deserves to be repudiated mm -hmm. and avoided. And I would give anything to make people hypersensitive to using the word Pharisee this way. Mm -hmm. And hypersensitivity can lead to enlightenment and illumination and proper sensitivity. Uh, sometimes we can overreact, but I want to get to the um, sensitivity issue first. As standard procedure is that when we use the word Pharisee today, we mean a legalist, a bigot, a hypocrite, 
someone who cares about picayune, mm -hmm. moral details, and that probes into somebody else's business. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, if you say to someone today, you're a Pharisee, almost no one will say that's a, crit a criticism, I mean, a, a compliment. Right. Everybody sees that. Nobody wants to be called a Pharisee. Whereas in the first century, there were a lot of people who would have been honored to have been called a Pharisee. So I want to get to that kind of idea of what, what, what it was that made a Pharisee a Pharisee and what the problem was uh, between Jesus and the Pharisees. And I think that we have to be careful. If you look in an English dictionary, you look up the word Pharisee, you're going to find something about a bigot. That is a uh, it's unfair, and let me let me use an illustration. If you say to someone, uh, if someone says to you, or or you say to someone, you're a Baptist, and you say it in a negative way, pejorative way, you have labeled that person with a negative with a negative term. It just so happens that Baptist is a good term. Uh, if you call someone a Presbyterian in some circles you have labeled them with a negative way. In some circles, if you call someone a Presbyterian, it shows that you're honored. And I want to, I want to get to that meaning of the word Pharisee rather than using it as a negative, skeptical, cynical, um, ridiculing label uh, or any of those categories. I want to find out, I, I want to look and see what it really means. Okay, so that's what we want to kind of probe. Yeah, and I think you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, you know, I think we look at it in an example like Paul, who was, I think, technically a, a Pharisee, That's... and and he he took that as, in many regards, a badge of honor and something yes. that he, he was proud of. And so uh, we had, we definitely need to be paying attention to it. And so that's what I'm looking for. You know, to... it's interesting. The Apostle Paul. I, I think a lot of Christians would say Paul was a Pharisee and then became a Christian. Right. I agree. And, Acts 23, 6, Paul says, I am a Pharisee. This is while he's on trial mm -hmm. in Caesarea uh, Maritima. He's on trial, and he's still claiming his Pharisee orientation. And uh, there are some people who would say, well, he's just playing a rhetorical game with a judge mm -hmm. so that he can, get, um, he can divide the house. Well, there's probably some truth in that, but at the same time, Paul did not convert from a Pharisee to a non-Pharisee. He converted from a Pharisee to a Pharisee Christian. And uh, that's, that's what uh, I'd like to explore. And here, here's where I think we need to start. We need to start with Josephus, who actually describes the Pharisees. Uh, and, and he's, Josephus was no uh, objective historian observing only on the base of evidence. But, but Josephus tells us some very interesting things about the Pharisees. And he basically says there were three forms of philosophy, philosophia, um, in the first century Jewish world. And they were Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes. He leaves the zealots out for the moment. And here are the, some of the observations that Josephus makes about the Pharisees. He said that they were the most accurate interpreters of the law. They were a leading sect or group of the Jews, denomination, extremely influential with the townsfolk. They attributed everything. Now, here he's using Greek and Roman categories 
But I think we can catch the drift, is that they attributed everything to fate and to God. They weren't rigorous, uh, strong, what we would call today Calvinists and providentialists, but they were, they were pretty strong on God being in control, that proper behavior is the most human responsibility that we have in life, that we have to live properly. They also had some theories about the future, and they believed that every soul was imperishable. Here, Josephus is using Roman and Greek categories, uh, but they believed in rewards and punishments, and they believed in, let's say, a resurrection and an eternal life of some sort. They lived, Josephus tells us, simply. Uh, now, this contrasts uh, with something that Jesus talks about them as lovers of money. They live according to the commandments that their doctrines teach, uh, that they, they developed ideas that, uh, from the Bible and learned to live according to them. Josephus says that they were respectful of elders and um, that their influence is great enough that prayers and rites of worship are according to their teachings in the Jewish world. So when I put this together, mm -hmm. when I put together what Josephus tells us about Pharisees, I would say they were the most influential denomination of the Jews, and their leading characteristic was that they were devoted to the law, to the Torah, to careful interpretation of the Torah, and to living as closely as possible according to the Torah. So who are they like in our world today? Let me take a first stab. In general, the closest group of people as a big group in the United States to Pharisees of the first century would be evangelical Christians. Yeah. I would also say conservative Roman Catholics, conservative Eastern Orthodox, conservative Lutherans, conservative Presbyterians, and conservative Baptists. They are, they would be the an, an analogous group or the analogy to first century Pharisees. In the larger spectrum, they love the Bible. Think about these categories. They love the Bible. Think about the groups that love the Bible. They love to interpret the Bible carefully. So in other words, they, they wrote books about the Bible. They studied the Bible. They studied the Bible in groups, by home Bible study groups. They took notes. They underlined with highlighters. And they carried around big Bibles. You know that I'm just uh, developing it. <laughs> Gold uh, leaves, I'm sure. And they, that's right. That's right. With red ribbons going uh -huh. through it. Mm -hmm. And they also were very careful about trying to practice the law. And they paid attention to those who didn't and encouraged them to follow the law. So any theory that the conservatives can say today that someone is a conserv is a Pharisee. Um, they ought to be careful about this. This is, this is a characteristic of all conservatives in the Christian tradition. You can't, you can't just say a Baptist is a, is a Pharisee yeah. if you don't also lay blame on the conservative Catholic, Orthodox, Presbyterian, uh, Lutherans, you know, whatever, Wesleyans, Methodists. All these groups can, uh, can have uh, traces of what we would call the Pharisees. Here's something else, and I think this is where we get really confused about the Pharisees. 
Scott, before you go there, yeah. could you give just a little context maybe on um, Josephus and who he was and um, his role as a historian in society, um, just in case somebody might not be familiar with him and his writings? Josephus is a famous Jew who was a part of the kingdom of the Herods. He fought in wars. He tells us about how great a hero he was. I don't trust what he has to say about his battles in Galilee. Uh, then he, um, he, he goes to Rome and he writes a history of the Jews. We call it the Antiquities of the Jews. He wrote a history of the Jewish war. We call it the, uh, the Jewish war. And he also wrote a book against, against a guy named Appian. And more importantly, he wrote a life. He wrote out his own biography, autobiography. So Josephus was a first, late first century, uh, a little bit older than Paul, uh, a little bit younger than Paul, lived beyond Paul, who wrote after the Jewish war, describing the Jewish war. And it's some of the most important texts in the Jewish world that we have for reading the New Testament. He tells us about the destruction of Jerusalem in ways that confirm the predictions of Jesus. But what is, uh, what is very interesting, and a lot of people don't know this, is that until the 20th century and into the 20th century, um, devout families uh, in the Western world read their Bible and Josephus was often around so that they would know uh, the historical context of Josephus. And it's a pity that many Christians, they don't know who Josephus is, but he's worth reading even if um, it uh, it takes some patience at times. Yeah, but it's helpful, like clearly, to understand the Pharisees, and which is part of the things that we're, yeah. we're doing here. Yeah. So I interrupted yeah. you in uh, no, into that's your fine. your second point. It's a good um, question. Yeah. Yeah. So Let, I, I think that has to do with what maybe the direction that you were heading here next. Yeah. Here here's where I think um, we look at the Pharisees as conservative because they were so committed to the Bible. And they were so committed to studying it, and they were so committed to practicing it. But they were the first century's democratizers of the law. So they were deeply involved in spelling out the law in detail, um, in practical manifestations, so that it would be easier to interpret the law. So they tried to make the law understandable so that everybody could follow all the law. So they, so you got a question like, keep the Sabbath. You know, you're, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, what, what does work mean? So they were involved. They, I, you know, we can't just say it was the Pharisees, the Essenes. Sadducees aren't too involved in this one, so far as I know. But there, there's, there's issues about the Sabbath, and so they start studying the Sabbath, and they start studying work, and they come up, uh, and we find these in, later in the rabbinic writings, um, that uh, they spelled out 40, yay, 39 uh, kinds of, of activities that are considered work. Now, this, this raises a question that I think we have to clarify for just a moment and quickly, and that is the rabbis are not equivalent to first century uh, Pharisees, but they are an extension and a development. They are to first century Pharisees what the Cappadocians or the early Christian theologians are to, let's say, to the Apostle Paul or to the Apostles. So there's development, there's clarification, there's detail that is not characteristic of the first century, but the basic movement of the Pharisees becomes the core 
of what became the Pharisees. So the, the Pharisees were concerned with clarifying the law so that everybody could follow it. And what they developed is something that Jesus critiques them for, but we know that this is characteristic of the Pharisees and later of the rabbis, is the development of an oral tradition. And that is without writing things down as if it's the law, they, they knew what it meant to work on the Sabbath on the basis of oral traditions. So this is a characteristic is that um, I would say that if we wanted to look at groups today is it's not written, but everybody knows that this is the way we're supposed to behave. Yeah. Almost all religious groups have all kinds of oral traditions. Unwritten laws. <laughs> unwritten laws that, that if you break, you're in more trouble than if you break the Bible, you know? Absolutely. Because yeah. they've got these things written out, and you didn't even know it when you uh, decide. I've been in groups, Chaz, speaking. You know, you get invited to groups, and all of a sudden you say something, you realize, mm -hmm. I just stepped in it there. <laughs> I stepped in a debate that I didn't know anything about. Yep, or and flew into a no-fly zone. <laughs> so, yeah, some of these groups are um, absolutely convinced that everything they believe is found in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And yet when you look at the Bible, you say, no, that's not in the Bible the way I read it. But they are convinced that it is. And uh, yeah. I'll just poke fun uh, because you're a part of it, of the restoration movement. They have developed plenty of their own little little ideas that, oh, uh, sure. that are connected. So Jesus gets into it with the Pharisees. And this is where um, I think we have to kind of drill down a bit and that Jesus critiques them for hypocrisy, gets after their fasting. Um, the Pharisees get after Jesus because of exorcisms. They get after Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Uh, all kinds of little debates and, about divorce and practices. And Jesus seems to keep coming back to the idea of hypocrisy. So I want to try to summarize a Pharisee now in light of what we learn in Josephus what we know a little bit about the democratization uh, and of how Jesus critiques them with four points. Okay. And that is the first is this. When you think of the Pharisees, think of the Bible. They focused on the whole Torah, its interpretation and its practice. So they're Bible people. Secondly, they were studious in their interpretations and they had distinct interpretations. So they were not always people that, they, they were non-ecumenical in that sense. They weren't trying to find common ground with other people. They were trying to specify it. And once they specified, that's what the word Pharisee may very well mean, specifier. Uh, they specified a specific interpretation, and then they expected everybody to go along with it. A third thing is they were very, I would call them scrupulous in practice, rigorous in their practice. If they believed that we should tithe a tenth of everything that we, we acquire, then they believed that you should, uh, and you found uh, a bag of 10 um, clementines, that you should give one to the temple. They were very rigorous, and I think it, it, it would be fair to say they, they seem to have practiced these all the time. And the other thing that I would say is they thought they were right in their interpretations. So they were a devoted 
Torah movement who knew, interpreted, and applied the Torah to all of life. Mm. And I think uh, Jesus would have been seen by a Roman as a kind of Pharisee because the Roman would not know the distinctions. But the but what happens is Jesus interpreted the law so differently that he created tension between himself and the Pharisees. But Jesus was every bit as committed to the Torah, only he read the Torah through a different lens. And he did not believe in multiplying rules. Uh, the halakot, it's called in the Pharisaic tradition, the rulings. He didn't want to create 39 ways of understanding uh, work. Jesus, I think, was a guy who went for the big picture. He went for the basic idea and tried to avoid developing too many rules and casuistry. So Jesus would not have been a good lawyer. He would have called the lawyers on the spot and said, you're missing the big picture. Now, this all leads to the idea of hypocrisy. Why did Jesus call him a hypocrite? And this is a critical, very critical uh, issue. And I find this one to be maybe what distinguishes uh, New Testament scholarship from the way people glibly and carelessly talk about Pharisees today. All right. Now, the word hypocrite in English means uh, a contradiction between what you are and what you say. Yeah, two-faced is the definition that I've heard before. Would you say that's accurate? Yes. I mean, you got to know that it's facing two different directions. Yeah. Uh, but, all right, so, for instance, the Germans call it Sein und Schein, between who you are and how you appear. So, in other words, a, a hypocrite is someone who who says one thing who believes or says they believe one thing, but they practice a different way. All right. That definition is inadequate to what Jesus means when he calls the Pharisees hypocrites. And this is, to me, the critical point that we need to grasp about Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, I think the, word, the best word I've ever seen on this, excoriates the Pharisees. And this is why uh, we use the word Pharisee the way we do is because Jesus just blasted away at him. But I want to pay attention to what he was actually blasting away at. And that is he did see an inconsistency between what they taught and what they did. But he also goes on to other themes like a desire for prestige mm -hmm. and power and congratulations that they abused their teaching authority and ended up with false teachings leading to false practices. They were clearly obsessed with some details that didn't matter. Jesus says, you tithe on mint, dill, and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and um, faithfulness, all right? So there is an inconsistency between their teaching and their practice, but... I think the best way to understand the word hypocrite is not with the way we define it as a contradiction 
between what a person teaches or believes and what a person does, but rather a hypocrite is a false teacher leading people away from God's will, God's true will. So Jesus, look, listen, to. I think this is a critical one. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, which means they're, you know, they're tithing on spices. Yeah. But you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Mm. So the key is, Jesus says, if you get justice, mercy, and faithfulness right, we won't be worrying about tithing on mint, dill, and cumin. And I think this fits with Jesus wanting to see the law through the lens of loving God and loving others. Mm. Big picture guy, central ideas, get the central ideas right, and the details will fall in place. And I think that at times, the group that Jesus didn't like among the Pharisees, yeah. not all Pharisees are alike, and we should never equate Pharisees with all Jews. There were mm -hmm. all kinds of Jews who thought Jesus was teaching what was right mm -hmm. and who didn't, didn't go along with the Pharisees, is that for Jesus, it is a false teacher who's leading people astray because he wanted them to see the big picture of loving God and loving others. And he thought these others were preoccupied with things that were missing the big picture. Hmm. So let me throw something out. I wonder if you've experienced this as well. But one of the things being a pastor that I have found is oftentimes the people who may be I don't know if conservative is the, the the best word to describe it, but the the person who's most focused on some of those dill and cumin type of um, laws that there are, and the people and getting upset about the people who may break those, um, sometimes are the people who have much deeper heart of issue type of things that are going wrong in their life that they're just trying to work to cover that up so that they can feel better about themselves because, well, I am doing these at least. And, and if I'm doing these, then I can feel better about myself that I am honoring God. When in, in fact, like you said, they're just covering up the heart issues of, of really what's most important. Well, there's some, there's some psychological truth in that. I, I sometimes have called this reverse legalism. And that is when people say, I haven't sinned, therefore, I haven't committed these rules, I haven't broken these rules, so therefore I'm righteous. No, righteousness is doing the will of God. Mm -hmm. It is about justice and, and love and mercy and wisdom, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what makes a person righteous, not, uh, not not doing certain things. So, But yes, I do think at times there are people who are obsessed with little details that, that give them a sense that they're doing what's right, though deep inside they're churning with all kinds of, uh, of deep problems. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, would say, I would say that's true, but I would not say that's what Jesus was getting at with these Pharisees, although he did, he did say, inside you're full of dead bones, even though you're obsessed with not touch, stepping on a tombstone that is, you know, is unclean and therefore makes you unclean. So he did, he did get after their inner, inner problem. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to emphasize that for Jesus, a Pharisee was a false teacher who was leading people astray by distorting the will of God away from what God wanted, uh, you know, the depth of what God wanted for people. That's why I think Jesus opposed the Pharisees. 
not because they followed rules. It's very interesting that Jesus makes a statement that to me is a loose end and we'll never figure it out. He said, you know, uh, do what they say, but don't follow them. You think, well, now, wait a minute. I, I don't think you like what they say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How do those fit together? Huh? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I think that one statement, um, they tithe on mint, dill, and cumin, but ignore justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That is the, I think that is a, at the core of Jesus's critique of the kinds of Pharisees that he was opposing. And I think he saw plenty of that sort in his world. Uh, and he and it should not be equated with all Jews. It should not be equated with all Pharisees. And we and we need to be careful about how we use that term. So to me, we should use the term Pharisee for the person who is absolutely committed to the Bible, mm -hmm. who is wrongheaded in interpreting the Bible and is leading people astray. That's a Pharisee for Jesus. And that would be a direct analogy in our world. Someone who is obsessed or very committed to the Bible, mm -hmm. who is wrong in their interpretation of the Bible, and is leading people astray. In other words, it's closer to the word heretic than the way we use the word hypocrite today. Hmm. I am deeply dependent upon my understanding of Pharisee and hypocrite on, especially hypocrite, on a great New Testament professor at Baylor, Truett Theological Seminary, named David Garland, who wrote his dis dissertation on, I think it was called The Intention of Matthew 23. And it was a, it was a very influential book uh, when I was doing my dissertation. And I, I greatly benefited from David's careful work, as well as with his method. And it helped me frame how to write my own dissertation. But David, I think, is the one who has shown that this word hypocrite is closer to the idea of false teacher and heretic than it is to the way we use. We use the word hypocrite in a very simplistic way. Contradiction sure. between what a person says and what they do. No, it's deeper than that. He used the term for people who were leaders, influencers, powerful people who were leading Israel astray. That's how, that's how he saw it. He knew the way to God, and he saw them leading people away from God. So it was more about the impact on others and their the falseness of their interpretations than it was upon the fact that they were hypocrites the way we use the term today. That makes sense. So to throw out one final question, um, do you feel that there is any beneficial way to use Pharisee uh, in the way that you've laid it out during our time together uh, as a helpful critique um, to people in the church or in in, in situations of faith that, um, that that can be something, or maybe just give us some, some guide on um, how that might be beneficial, because that's a pretty serious claim of the way that you've described it here, um, but is also something that um, I guess I think I might kind of be important for us to be mindful of, um, that, that we use this well if this is something that could be beneficial. Well, you know, this, this puts me in a difficult spot to have to label someone, but let me put it this way. I think people who are teaching the health and wealth gospel are hypocrites in the way Jesus uses the term. I think people who are 
using the idea that we as Christians ought to be wealthy are failing at a fundamental level and frequently teaching people falsehoods and leading people astray. Um, I see this, I, I don't watch it as much anymore, but I watch, occasionally I'll see some of these people on TV and I think, mm-hmm. this, is, this is false teaching. Mm-hmm. This is what Jesus meant by hypocrite, someone who's teaching something that is leading people astray. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that, that's the way, I'll just use that as my example, yeah. is that the health and wealth gospel would draw the ire of Jesus and he would call them hypocrites. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good example to to keep in mind and um, take for us to use. So to send everybody away, um, you got any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave everybody with? Well, I hope that I have confused enough people, uh, are confused people enough that they won't use this term without saying, oh my goodness, this is a difficult term and I ought to be careful how I use it. Yeah. That's that's a big step forward. But to me, if we would learn to connect the word hypocrite to false teacher, we will be a hundred miles ahead. And the second thing is we need to suspend using it for Jews, yeah. for people who are in Judaism, for people who follow the law. I mean, Paul taught people to follow what he taught. And John said, you got to be obedient. And Jesus. So it's not about following the law in that sense. It is about distorting an interpretation of the law and leading people astray. So that's what I hope that it can help people uh, gain a deeper appreciation for uh, the magnitude of leadership. So, So Pharisee for Jesus was about bad leaders more than it was about uh, simply bad practice. That's good. Well, uh, we hope you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that already. We're grateful that you always join us. Um, Scott, any cliffhanger? I know I'm putting you on the spot for this, but um, why why should somebody come back to our, our episode next week when we talk about Sadducees um, for what we're going to talk about? Well, the Sadducees, you know, they don't get the press that the Pharisees get in the pages of the gospel. We don't have any surviving Sadducees. But this one allows us to take a special look at uh, religious leaders in the world and in the church and uh, throw some fresh light on what's going on there. Yeah, well, that'll be fun. So we're grateful to have you with us this week and hope you take the chance to subscribe if you haven't done so already. But we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 